So we are starting a new series called Not Your Sunday School Jesus. And what we're talking about is um, some stories of Jesus, six stories of Jesus that are personally my favorite stories. And so we were going to call it John's six favorite Jesus stories, but um, it didn't have the ring to it that Not Your Sunday School Jesus has. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at these stories. Some of them you might know. Some of them you might not know. They might be new to you. And um, we're going to see maybe a different side of Jesus, maybe a side that we hadn't seen before. And, um, and so this first uh, story, uh, you'll know it the minute I start reading uh, the first verse to it. It's found in John chapter 11. Um, but I wanted to start off by just telling you that every single funeral I do, I start with the same sentence. Our world is broken. Every funeral I do, I start with that. And you don't have to look very far to see whether or not your world is broken. You just look at the news. You know, you just look at what's happened recently in San Diego and Sri Lanka. And I mean, we could just go on and on and on. And maybe it's not something that big. Maybe it's just you're broken. Maybe you just realize that you're, you're, you're damaged. That things aren't working this way that you hoped they would. Maybe in your finances or in your relationships or... Uh, maybe a, a substance that you go to, or um, maybe it's something you retreat from that you want to escape. Our world is broken. This morning, we're going to look at a story uh, where Jesus comes to the most broken situation you can go, get to, a death. And we see how he handles it, and we see what his perspective is towards our broken world. Because Jesus definitely had a different perspective about our world than we do. As a matter of fact, when he first came, he, one of the first things he said is, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is here, is what he was saying. So we catch up with Jesus. It's towards the end of his, uh, we're not going to go in chronological order with, um, with these stories, but we catch him at the end of his uh, um, time on earth here. And uh, what had happened is he had healed somebody in the temple, and then he had claimed that he, he used a phrase that was only used towards God, and so they picked up stones to uh, kill him, to throw rocks at him until he was dead. And it's really cool. You should read your Bible because it's a lot of fun. Uh, it says uh, he, he eluded them, which I just pictured Jesus going all ninja and, like, taking his hood and, like, putting it over his, and, like, sneaking all around, and then he's gone, you know, and they're like, where is he? I thought he was right here. And he's, like, scooting underneath their legs. He can't see him. I don't know. I, I tend to read a little bit into the Bible, so uh, forgive me. But let me just show you where he ended up. Uh, so what happened was, if you can see this, um, he's in Jerusalem, and he he goes a day and a half journey uh, up by the Jordan River. So that's, that's where he is when we catch him on this, uh, on this um, uh, thing, uh, on, on this, in the story. So he's up there, and it says, Now a man named Lazarus, so now you all, spoiler alert, that's the story. It didn't, it didn't take very long, but was sick. He was from Bethany. If you go back that slide, that's right next to Jerusalem, about an hour and a half walk the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then John does this thing where he starts adding context. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And I don't know if you remember that story, but it's a beautiful story of worship where she just gives everything she has to Jesus. And the, the, uh, the, the, she gets judged for it because the, the, the oil that she had was expensive. So Jesus is up uh, where we saw him by the Jordan. 
So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so we have this situation where Jesus is up there and he had just almost gotten killed down there. Does that make sense? And so what does he do? When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So just to understand the, the, the scope of what's happening here, Jesus knows there's going to be a miracle. And this is very, very important when you see how Jesus responds to the people that engage with him. So this isn't a shock to Jesus. Jesus knows something great is going to happen. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he got on the nearest camel and he hightailed it down to Jerusalem. No, he didn't do that. He left, he walked, he just left, he told the, he told the disciples, you stay here, I'm, I'm going back to see my friend. Like he, he, he called the, like whatever the equivalent of Lyft was back in then, and he had a, a, some, a driver drive him down. Or, he doesn't do any of that. It's shocking to me, it says, he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. <laughs> like, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. Unless you're Jesus and you know what's going to happen. He stays there two more days. And then he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, listen, up. you got to catch the Bible. It's really important. He says, let us go back. That's what he says. Right? Let us go back. All of us. The whole clan. Band of brothers. We're going back to Judea. Here's what he says. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? <laughs> They're like, boy, that's brave. We'll hold down the fort up here and make sure everything's good so that when you come back, we'll have it all set up for you. So uh, have a nice trip and good, good luck. Okay, this is the turning point of the story. You think, well, boy, isn't the death of Lazarus the turning point? What happens in the next section of Scripture sets the tone for how Jesus comes to a situation and how you and I typically come to a situation. And all throughout the Gospels, there's this heavenly tension between light and darkness, between death and life. There's this author of life, Jesus, walking through brokenness, broken people, broken situations, and he's bringing health. He's bringing restoration. There'll be people who are born blind. We'll go through that story during this series, and Jesus opens their eyes. All through the Gospels, you see this idea that Jesus is light. He's different. He brings the kingdom of God to the kingdom of darkness or the culture of the world or just the brokenness of our society. So Jesus starts in with this real cryptic language that, that doesn't make any sense. Remember, they said, they're trying to kill you, but you're going back, huh? Okay. And Jesus answers with this. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the, this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. 
What Jesus is saying is this is all going to be about two rival kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven, which Jesus is king, and the kingdom of the world in which brokenness, death, disease is king. So he says, after he had said this, he went on to tell him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. Which, in which case, what would you say? You say exactly what the disciples say. Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Let's stay here. We don't even have to worry about that. Someone will take care of him down there. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. You know why they thought that? Because that's what he said, okay? Like, don't go beating up on the disciples. You know, John writes this as though, like, he didn't know. He knew. He wrote this after it had happened. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. And Thomas, man, I love how real the Bible is. I love how real the Bible is. We call him Doubting Thomas. Get off his case. We do the same thing, right? Poor guy. And he says this. And I don't know if Thomas is kind of like an Eeyore like, type of person or like always like, like always half glass empty type of person or I don't know, but... Uh, Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciple, let us go that we may die with him. Like, <laughs> you know. Or maybe he's like me, like one of my spiritual languages or gifts is sarcasm. And uh, maybe he was like, hey, let's go so we can die with him. Awesome. This sounds great. But uh, they head out for this day and a half journey. So if you kind of follow the timeline, it's Jesus is up here. They send someone to go talk to Jesus. That's a day and a half, okay, to go there. Then they, Jesus stays there two days, so now we're at three and a half days, and it's a day and a half back, so we're at five days now. So when you, when you read about how Lazarus was in the tomb for four days, he probably died right when those people were leaving. Um, so on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha, uh, to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now, just think about the tension that's being um, created here. They just fled Jerusalem a few days ago because people wanted to kill him, and now some of those same people might show up at the funeral, and Jesus is there. That's awkward. Just to say the least, if that makes sense. If you've ever been to a wedding or a funeral and there's somebody there you don't like, usually it's an uncle, uh, uh, it, it, it's kind of it's like that. Uh, um, so don't, don't kill your uncles, all right? And so this is, this is where they are. They're, Jesus is showing up. The people from Jerusalem are showing up. Lazarus is dead, okay? This is the, the scene that's being um, built that John's building. Now watch what happens. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Now, at the risk of reading too much into the Bible, which I tend to do anyway, Mary was the one... See, I don't think John... It was a mistake that John had to remind us, this is the Mary that anointed his feet with oil earlier in the story. 
I don't think that was a mistake. I don't think he was just sitting there. I, he knew where this whole story was going. So when he says she stayed home, I think we're supposed to infer that something was going on in Mary. This is so p- powerful and important, guys. Sometimes our expectations of Jesus can rob us of our joy when he doesn't perform the way we want him to. And that there might be times of great joy and great worship and great sacrifice and, and, and we're loving Jesus. We say, I'll do anything for you. I'll do anything for you. And then you get the news of something and Jesus isn't performing quite the way you want. And you go, you know what? And you begin to question your faith. I've, I have been there. I've been there as a pastor. I've been there. Where I'm like, seriously? You can't just, I dream a genie and get this all fi- figured out? And so, I don't know if that's what's happening with Mary. I don't know if she's upset. I don't know if she's just like, I can't even look at Jesus right now. I'm just, I'm just focused on my brother. She's surrounded by mourners. So Mary comes out. Or Martha comes out. Forgive me. And Martha says something that I'm sure they've been rehearsing, not to get Jesus, but I'm sure this has been part of their narrative for the last few days. They've just been with each other mourning the death of their brother. Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had done your job, what you do with all these other people, well, I don't know how you can heal them, but you can't heal my brother. You loved us. You've been in our home. I've made you uh, meals. You've taught in the house. Mary spent her, all of her anointing perfume on you. And if you had been here. And then she says this, which is fascinating because you think she's saying, but you could probably raise him from the dead. He says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So it, it sounds like she's saying that. And then, but then Jesus says this, your brother will rise again. In other words, if that's what you're saying, yes, we're going to raise your brother from the dead. And then she says, well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then I wonder if she's thinking in her mind, but you think you could really do it now? (laughs) Like she's being theologically accurate as far as she's concerned, but I wonder if there's something stirring in her. And then Jesus says this amazing, amazing, amazing statement that cuts right into the situation they are in. And you might be going through a situation this morning that you think is dead. You might have a part of your your personality, a part of your past that's dead. You might have some shame that you're hanging on to from long ago, this deadness, and you've just tucked it away deep inside. And you think, there's no way I can get rid of that. You might have some fear. We sang this morning, I'm no longer a slave to fear. There might be a fear for you, a fear of death, a fear of uh, being destitute, a fear of being alone for the rest of your life, whatever that is. And that's a deadness that's in you that is hard to get out. You might have a deadness of some sin that you just are, are, you keep battling and battling and battling and that deadness is there. And you go, man, I know that when I die, everything will be fixed on that resurrection on the last day. I'm just going to suffer through life, through the brokenness of what's going on so that at the end of my life, I can go and I can be with Jesus. And Jesus looks at that. He hears that. 
He hears about your anxiety. He hears about your fear. He hears about your shame. He hears about your brokenness. He hears about your past, your sin, and all that. And he says these words to you. I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, he's saying this. I'll, I'll be the judge of how dead things really are. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Like really live. This is why I say when, when you begin to follow Jesus, your eternity starts now. It, th- this relationship starts now. Yes, you'll spend eternity with Jesus, but wouldn't it be nice to get to know him before you have to do that, <laughs> right? Get to know who this Jesus is that you're staying with. Even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here and is asking for you. Isn't that so sweet? Jesus, he's so real and intimate. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. She couldn't hold out any longer because Jesus says, I want to I talk to you. I want to see you. Mary does the exact same thing, which is why... Uh, uh, I believe they'd been rehearsing it, but now Jesus was not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, notice how quickly she got up. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn. Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. My sister and I both agree. <laughs> We've been talking about it for days. Now, here's something that's a little bit different than what you might have learned in Sunday school. And we're going to get a little technical. I don't usually do this, but we do have to remember that this book was written in a different language. It was written in Greek. And so when we have a Greek manuscript and we translate it, sometimes we might translate a word that is actually accurate but doesn't get the full weight of what's going on here. Okay? When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, that phrase, deeply moved, oftentimes, if you were just reading it, you'd think that he was, he was sad or that he was, like, compassionate or w- w- whatever. But it's a really specific Greek word that's being used. I wrote it down. Embromeomai. It's to snort with anger, <laughs> to have indignation. It's, 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 to, it's, it's a word they'd use for horses getting ready to go into battle. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is ready to go into battle. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, is about to battle sin and death. And he's ticked. He's ready to go. Now, we'll see he does cry later, so don't freak out. But this is what's happening in, in him. He, and, and this is so important because it, it shows you the heart of God. But when things like San Diego and Sri Lanka happen, and oftentimes maybe your faith is questioned because you, you say, how can God allow something like that? How, how, how can that happen? Couldn't he do it? And it's it's a question that lots of people ask. Lots of people who are questioning God, they ask that question. And it's 
It's a valid, valid question. But I will tell you this, because when you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, I know that what, when those things happen, it breaks his heart. And he wants to see it defeated. So he's got this, this indignation, this righteous indignation, that something is not right. Shalom is not being experienced. This is not the way it was designed to be. And so he says this, where have you laid him? Man, I, again, if, if I had to go back, so I doubt he was really angry and then just went, oh, by the way, where have you laid him? I wonder if there was a, like, like almost like a, like a Rambo. <laughs> where is he? You know, like, here, like he's going. He's going to do business. Like sin and death have no power. It's like it's time to, it's try, time to drop the hammer, right? Now, maybe not. I tend to read a little bit too much into the Bible sometimes. But he'd ask this to you with your deadness. Where are you hiding it? What, what, what is it? Is it something that you did when you were in your 20s and you just have never been able to get over that? Is it something that, you know, you, you didn't amount to who you thought you'd amount to and you just like, you're just, you're just disappointed in yourself and there's this just sense of deadness or maybe it is a fear, maybe it is. Jesus would ask you the exact same question. Show him. Where is it? What is it? And of course he already knows. He probably already knew where Lazarus was buried. But he has that same question. Name it. Name it. Get to it. Where is it? What's going on? Did somebody rob you of your childhood? And it's just like that's the thing that just is now defines you? Name it. The resurrection and the life is here. The teacher is here and he wants to talk to you. And so they say, come and see, Lord. And now Jesus weeps. I don't know if he's weeping because he's just the whole episode of it all is overwhelming. If he's weeping because he just can see in front of him the brokenness and he just wants to say, listen, if you only knew that this world, what is going on right now, is not the greatest stuff ever. That even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of what you're going through, you can experience resurrection and life. And so he weeps. And so the Jews say, see how he loved him. And I think John puts this in here because he's not weeping about the fact that he loved Lazarus. He's going to raise him from the dead. There's something else going on. And I believe it's just the realization of the tension between the disconnect of the brokenness of our world and the life we can live in Christ. Some of them had little snide comments to say, could could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And Jesus is just like, Psh. no, he didn't do that. Once again, Jesus, snorting with anger, if we will, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across it. And he said this, and again, I don't know how he said it, but it was something to the effect of, take away the stone. 
That's my, I kind of have a squeaky voice. That was the best I could. Now I have to cough because I can't even do that. Jesus asked me the same question. Name it and now give me access to it. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll name it. Yes, it was, it was this thing, or it's this thing. Oh, I'd like to, let's do that. You know, he says this uh, other place in the Gospels. He says, um, hey, hello. I stand at the door. I'm knocking. Open up. Police are here. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> Open up. And we go, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, there's dirty underwear on the floor. Uh, the dishes are all on the sink. I'm not letting Jesus in. I, I don't want Jesus to see this. Hey, here, here's what we say a lot. I'm going to clean it up myself and get it all ready, and then Jesus can come in. That's not the way it works with Jesus. He has the resurrection power. He's the resurrection and the life. Nobody comes through the Father but through him. And so he says, roll away the stone, and Martha answers exactly like we would answer. Oof, you don't want to do that. She says, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. I don't know why John keeps telling us who the people are. Like, it was just six verses ago. We, we can follow it, but whatever. Um, she says, by this time there is a bad odor. In the King James ver Version, it says, he stinketh. <laughs> just a little, that was free, by the way. Uh, he stinketh. If you're changing a baby's diaper, you can just say, it stinketh, and you're quoting scripture. It's a fantastic. <laughs> For he has been there four days. Then Jesus says, <laughs> again, this thing is like burning within him. He says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? But I don't think he said it that way. I think he's like, he's like a horse headed for home. And I think he looked at Martha like you do with your kids. Didn't I tell you? <laughs> Didn't I tell you? You'd see the glory of God? Good. Good. Right? I think. Because here's what it says next. So they took away the stone. <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's stop messing around with Jesus right now. He's not in a good mood. Okay? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus does something so sweet for us and for the people around him. He did this Jewish thing when you would pray. Uh, if you were doing a public prayer, you would typically have your hands raised. Now, that's not, it doesn't say that that's what he was doing, but it would be implied. And he says this prayer to God. Now, remember when I told you way back, like four days ago, when Jesus says, um, Oh, yeah, it's a good thing I wasn't there because something great's going to happen. Jesus already knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet he prays publicly. I believe with his hands raised. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder when it was he heard him. Like, I wonder... If when they said, Lazarus is sick, Jesus just began to pray to his heavenly father, what would you like me to do? What would you like me to do? You want me to go down and heal him? You want me to go down? What do you want me to do? Because Jesus stayed two days, and we have no reason to know why. We don't know if he was, it didn't say, and he stayed and preached, and he had a full schedule, and it's just he stayed two more days. 
I think his heavenly father told him to stay two more days. So he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, (laughs) but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me, that they may look at this situation as there is death, there are circumstances, there is brokenness, there is a lack of shalom, but when the resurrection and the life shows up, everything changes. Everything changes. So when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He basically, if you look at the kind of the way, again, not to get all Greeky on you, but if you look at the way the Greek is written, the, these, this shout is exactly like the shouts of praise Hosanna when he rides in uh, to, uh, on the Passover. It's a shout. He's yelling. I don't want to do it because I have a microphone. Uh, but that's, it's a shout. And then John writes this, which I can't even wrap my head around what this would look like, but the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen. They used to wrap, and if I were Lazarus, I would be freaking out right now. First of all, I'm claustrophobic. Second of all, I'm kind of a germaphobe, so I'm around a dead person, me, okay? And then I'm like, like in the, I don't know how he, did he hop out? Because they, you know, I don't know if he like came out like mummy style, but I'll bet, I'll bet it was silent there. And people are just like, oh man. Me personally, I'm like, I'm out of here. See ya. I'd go, I'd be in Jerusalem going, I don't even know what happened. I don't know. I ran. I don't, I can't, I don't know. I don't know if they got into a fight. I have no idea. I was out of there. He has cloth around his face. Jesus says the same thing that he wants to say to you. As you find that dead spot, and you open it up, and you say, okay, Lord, this is what I'm struggling with. This is who I am. And he says, okay, I want you to roll away the stone. I want you to bring it forth. And then he says this. Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wait, you mean Lazarus isn't going on a speaking tour? He doesn't doesn't have to follow you all around and show everybody for your your ministry so that your ministry will grow? You mean mean to tell me you you just raised him from the dead and he has nothing that he owes you? This is exactly what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. And then that thing that was your identity before, you you take that off and you go. You move on. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. Today's got enough trouble of its own. Go on, move forward. Move forward in it. But it all starts with identifying what is it that's holding me back. And how do I expose this to Jesus? One of the reasons we like small groups around here so much, and this is the last week to sign up for our next six-week thing, is that you find out the people who are most nervous about going to a small group usually are nervous that something will be discovered about them. Okay? And then the thing I love the most about small groups is they discover 
everybody's the same. If you came into this church and you look around and you're thinking like, man, all these people have it together. Ah! <laughs> no, they, they really do, but I just like to just go. Oh, we, none of us have it together. All of us need Jesus. All of us have these places in our lives where we have to keep rolling away the stone. I know, but I took Lazarus and I put him back. I, I, I'll, I'll, here, come on, let's go. You know what's really fascinating to me as the worship band comes back up again? From here on out, every time Lazarus is mentioned, it says this little phrase, Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. That's his new identity. You know what my name is? My name is John, who Jesus raised from the dead. That's my identity. I, I know you call me Pastor John, uh, and I am great. I, I, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a father. I'm all this stuff. But my true identity, what I, when, let me put it this way, when I anchor my identity, in being John, whom Jesus raised from the dead, I go into situations, broken situations, situations in my own life, my own family, in the power of the resurrection. When I am.